0: Oh my goodness. I'm so excited to share with you tonight. I just want to give it up for Josh last week. I heard he did a great job. Come on, put your hands together. Wow, it's really, really good. Nothing but great things, bro. Thanks for filling in last week. My cousins were in town. We were bouncing around the mountains of um, Colorado. So thanks, Josh. I appreciate you. Um, David, also, thank you for kicking us off, raining in life the first three weeks. It was incredible. If you didn't get that, well, listen to the podcast. Uh, seriously, guys, raining in life. It's raining in this life now. And it's really, really powerful. So I want to encourage you in that. Tonight I want to talk about Jesus obviously resurrecting. That's that's important, right? We're gonna talk about that. But before we do, I think for us to understand the tomb, we have to understand the garden. And so I want to take you back to Genesis chapter one. And Jesus, Jesus, Holy Spirit and God were, were about to reveal themselves. God said the first thing, let there be light. Now, the sun had not yet been created. So this light that he was referring to literally means an illumination of oneself. So the first thing that God had to do was say, let there be a recognition of me. Let the universe know that that I'm here, that I'm about to do something miraculous. Let there be an understanding of who I am. Let there be an illumination of myself. Let there be light. Of course, we know a couple days later he created the sun, moon, and stars. But that's important because when God said, let there be light, it wasn't just a one-time thing, oh, there's illumination of God. When God speaks, it is perpetuated for eternity. Are you tracking with me? So when God said, let there be light, there's still being the light of God illuminated today. That makes sense. That's why scientists are baffled at the ever expanding universe. Why is it still expanding? Because God said, Let it be. When God says, Let something be, it can't stop. It's perpetuated for eternity. It's like His character. I am the I am. I am. Therefore, I am. I will always be, and I have always been. So when God speaks something, and even in our lives, it cannot be undone. What God speaks, No man can undo what God speaks. No man or no weapon or no evil force, no system can undo. The the garden, right? God's creating this incredible garden for his creation. He makes Adam out of the humus, out of the dirt, out of the clay, and he calls him human, out of humus, out of clay, out of dirt, out of earth, And he puts him in this incredible garden. He says, tend it. Be fruitful and multiply. That's perpetuating throughout history. Continually be fruitful and multiply. Continually tend this garden. Continually let heaven be a reflection on this planet. Continually bring order. Continually bring peace. Continually bring hope. Adam, as we all know, succumbed to the the words of his, of his bride, Eve, and we are in, in that moment have been set on a course of war and dismay and sin entered through one man. Jesus then reveals himself a couple times on the planet, actually, or in God the Father form in Melchizedek in different ways, and, and we see the goodness of God's plan start to unravel. The goodness of God begins to say, I have mercy that extends to you every single day. It never ceases. Once I speak mercy, it never ends. Once I speak eternity, it never ends. Once I speak love, it never ends. We'll always be perpetuated. And we fast forward through all of the, the kings and we fast forward through the prophets and we fast forward through uh, the, the dark 300 years of silence when God's just like, hey, I'm just taking a break. I, I didn't think he said that, but you know, nothing was spoken. And then Matthew comes on the scene and he tells us, he gives us an incredible genealogy of Jesus and all the history begins to make sense. Someone once said that faith is looking back and having your life make sense. Faith is just that believing that God is working everything out for the good of those that are called according to his purpose. Faith is what God has initiated in this whole story and hope. That's what we have, my friends, is hope. We have hope in Jesus, hope that Jesus rose again, hope that that resurrection seed is now in us. So we fast forward and Jesus, as you know, gets the triumphal entry. And it's interesting that he comes in as a a humble servant on a crossbred animal. Doesn't come riding triumphantly on a horse, but he comes for the marginalized. And all the Galileans are around him saying, Hosanna, 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 Hosanna in the highest. This triumphal entry that Jesus comes in is like, oh my goodness, the Messiah is here. People from the countryside were singing his praises. I think sometimes we, we make the mistake of thinking the same mob that said crucify him was the same people that said welcome. That's not the case. The Galileans were there for Passover. They were there to celebrate this incredible moment in their history. And they were all from the countryside. They were the marginalized. They were the forgotten. They were the down and outers. The Judeans were. Were the ones crying, crucify him, the elite, the religious, the political, different crowd. Jesus nevertheless never loses focus on his, on his goal, on his plan. He knows what he's here for, he knows why this moment has come, and he doesn't let this go to his head and say, hey, I've now arrived. I can take and set my kingdom up here. He doesn't do this. And we know the story, right? Jesus is hung on a cross and beaten and bruised and spilled his blood, and he died. And then they bury him. It's interesting that where we started was in the garden, and where all of creation was about to begin again was in a garden. Jesus was buried in the tomb in the garden, and John chapter 20, verses 14 and 15 says this, Mary Magdalene turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't know it was him. She thought that he was the gardener. Interesting, isn't it? G.K. Chesterton said this, On the third day, the friends of Christ coming at daybreak to the place found the grave empty and the stone rolled away. In varying ways, they realized the new wonder. Watch this, my friends. The world had died in the night. What they were now looking at was the first day of a new creation with a new heaven and a new earth. And in semblance of a gardener, God now walked again in the garden, not in the cool of the evening, but at the daybreak of dawn. Isn't that awesome? I just got chills, man. I love, I love this story. So we see Jesus, right? He's going right back to the, as the second Adam, coming right back to a garden, very simple, very humble, very remindful of where he came from in the beginning, Of course, we know the first person to encounter the risen Christ was Mary Magdalene, a marginalized outcast. We think that she might have been the prostitute that Jesus had set free and then became one of his most ardent followers, poured oil on his feet, sat at his feet, washed his feet with her hair, with her tears. She mistook him. Perhaps it was a mistake. Maybe it was a prophetic sign that she thought he was the gardener. Maybe it was just a beautiful mistake. Maybe it wasn't a mistake at all. Maybe this was what exactly God had intended. I want you to see me coming out of the garden, not in kingly robes, or the tomb, not in kingly robes, not with a crown on my head, but I want to come out of the garden and out of the tomb in simple gardener's wear. I want to come out and say, I'm returning everything as if it were. I'm going back to where we started in the garden, and I'm creating something brand new. On Good Friday, obviously, Jesus was buried in a garden, as we know. is a place to cultivate things. It's a place for things to grow. It's a place for people to get their hands dirty. And I love that Jesus isn't afraid to get his hands dirty. I love that he reaches down in the garden of our lives, and he looks at our mess, and he says, I can work with that. I can do something here. I can prune that back and let you guys grow like crazy. I can work in your life, because it doesn't matter how messed up you think your life is. Jesus is this incredible husbandman. That comes with his hands filled with dirt and dirt under his nails, and he said, "This is who I am. This is your king. I'm the guy on my knees working the ground, as I did in creation. I'm the I'm the king who's working the ground in your life. I'm the king who's reached down into your heart, and I'm working things out. I'm working the humus, the humus of your heart. I'm working it out." Jesus said this in Luke chapter. I'm sorry, John chapter twelve. He said, "Unless." A seed falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Jesus is talking about himself. He's saying, Look, guys, in a garden, garden has to have seed. Garden has to have good, fertile ground. Garden has to have something be put in the ground. And if it dies, then it brings forth incredible fruit. And that's the picture that we have of Jesus. He was the first fruits of many. He was the first fruits of you and I. We're bearing witness today, still eternally perpetuated with the light that we have, eternal life in Jesus Christ, promised through that seed, promised through that resurrection, promised through today and Easter. The Son of God was sown into the earth, and he brought forth. I mean, think about what Mark said. Even those who had fallen asleep for many years had rose up from the grave. Figure that one out. Dude, and what what are you doing here? I thought you died. I did, man. I don't know. Some stuff was shaking around. The garden brought forth the first fruits of resurrection. It all goes back to the garden. It all goes back to this beautiful picture of Jesus being the gardener and looking for fruit in our lives. And that's why we can't discount when stuff happens. Because Jesus uses that stuff, and you know what I mean. He uses that stuff, and he says, let me, let me use that stuff to fertilize the stuff that I'm doing in your life. Let me use the circumstances and the pain that you're going through, and I'll use that. And I'll use that as fertilizer. I'll put it around your roots. I'll put it in the seed. I'll put it in your life, and you will grow, and you will produce incredible things if you don't give up. Don't give up. Jesus Christ declared to be the Son of God through His resurrection, Romans chapter 1, verse 4 says. The first seed raised by God in the garden of resurrection became the gardener. When Mary Magdalene supposed Him to be the gardener, she was exactly right. Jesus, now the gardener of all resurrection, creating new life for all who believe. We know the first Adam was the gardener who failed in his task and again the, the 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 world became a wasteland of sin and shame, degradation and darkness. But the second Adam will succeed in his task. Christ will restore the ruined garden. With Christ as the gardener of new creation, we have hopeful listen to this. We have hopeful, victorious eschatology. That's just a big word that means how this all stuff you know unravels. Doesn't really matter where you land on this. We we win. We win. We're victorious. Because Jesus said, if I go into the earth, I'm going to rise again victorious over the last enemy is death. And now I've conquered that. There are now no more enemies for me to conquer. Now we just get to share in this beautiful garden. We call the earth pruning it and making it look like heaven. It's the peace bringers. It's the active peace People, it's people don't talk about peace. They bring peace. They bring change. They bring hope to those who are marginalized. I must admit that I need, as Brian Zahn says, we need to read the Bible standing on our heads. Because we see it through the lens of not Hebrew slaves. We don't see the Bible through the lens of an oppressed people under a a tyrannical leader. We don't see the Bible through the lens of, of, of brokenness and disease. We see the Bible through, I mean, forgive me, but through our own experiences as semi-wealthy people. And so the good news may not resonate as well with us as it does people who read this that come out of slavery, who come out of oppression, who come out of this, you know, this terrible circumstance it goes, there is hope. There is hope. Sometimes I fear I glaze over these great stories looking through the lens of the Bible through my own experiences, through my own history, through my own life. And oh, how we don't discount the blessing that God has given us to live in an incredible city, incredible wealth, incredible nation. We don't discount that and we don't blame anybody for that. But, but that does require us to walk humbly before our God to do justly, to walk humbly before our Lord. So the wealth we've been given, my friends, is not for us to heap things on ourselves, but rather to give for others to prosper, for others to go, for others to hear. These are the things that Jesus is creating in this new world. (laughs) Isaiah 55, 13 says this, Instead of a thorn bush shall arise, there will come up a juniper. Instead of a briar shall come up myrtle. He's saying this prophetically. He's saying when Jesus goes into the tomb, and when he raises again, when he brings that new life, he's going to bring change everywhere he goes, and then he's going to put it inside of you through his Holy Spirit. It's fascinating. On the f- first side of, the, of Calvary, the disciples were running in all directions. They were scared to death. They were, they were in fear of their life. But when Jesus resurrected... The disciples' lives were transformed. And the Bible says they boldly taught of Jesus of Nazareth. They boldly proclaimed that he was alive. They boldly shouted that he was their Savior, this Jesus of Nazareth. When we have an encounter with not only the cross, as Richard Rohr says, it's the cross and the tomb. It's got to be both. Our salvation is completed through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's both and we celebrate the cross. We love the cross. It's from the cross that we see Jesus die and be uh, tortured and be humiliated as our king. He's all representing this marginalized people that he's been fighting for and telling the good news to. But we got to move to the grave. We got to go to the tomb. We have to go to the hope that is Jesus Christ resurrected. It is Jesus Christ's resurrection that gives you and I hope. Paul said, without it, we have no hope. What are we doing here? If we don't have the resurrection of Jesus Christ, then let's do something else. Let's go play golf. Let's just just live our lives. Let's just be hedonistic, do whatever feels good, because there's really no purpose. But thank God for the tomb. Thank God that he resurrected. Thank God that we have hope, that we have a future, that we have resurrection power living in us. Think about that. so good. Jesus is the gardener who turns blighted wastelands into beautiful pieces of fruitful property. All through his ministry, he talks about, I am the vine and you are the branches. Hey, this tree needs to be a little fertilized. It's not bearing fruit. Hey, let me prune you. It's all these iterations to gardening. Teresa has a desire to uh, have a garden. And uh, if you're from the Midwest, you know that in Indiana, you know you could you could put a watermelon seed in the ground, whatever, it will grow like overnight because of the ground is so rich and the soil is so fertile. And I told her, I said, I don't know how people grow a garden around here. It means this gray, rocky, sandy, whatever it is. I don't even know what I don't, how stuff grows here. But we were talking about it, and we were we were starting to talk about what it means to be a gardener and the time that it takes, dedication, and you have to have the right tools, and you have to have the right uh, seasons, and the water, and where to plant it on the side of your house, north side, south side, what's the best? And after talking about it, we decided not to do that. <laughs> so we're going to stick with our plants. Just I said, babe, if we can keep our plants alive, then we can move on to the garden. Jesus is the gardener who does this, though. Jesus is not a conductor, my friends, on a train, punching tickets, on our first-class ride to heaven. That's not his role. Jesus is not the one trying to say, hey, let's get off the rock as fast as we can. But it's about getting heaven to earth. Jesus is not a lawyer to get us out of a legal jam with his angry dad. Come on, somebody. He's not, this is a legal term. Jesus doesn't operate in those systems. God is not mad at sinners. Jesus told Mary to tell his disciples that his father was their father too. (laughs) <laughs> Jesus is not a banker making loans of his surplus righteousness. Modern people love economic metaphors, but they are terrible. Economic metaphors invariably produce bad theology. Jesus is a gardener. He works with tangible things. He doesn't he works in people's lives. He takes the broken and he heals them. He doesn't work in in, not in, in these other systems. Matter of fact, those were the three systems that he broke. Those are the three systems that killed him. He is the gardener cultivating resurrection of life to all who come to him. The conductor, the lawyer, the banker metaphors are mostly false, giving a distorted view of salvation. The gardener and the physician are metaphors that are beautiful and faithfully depicts the process of salvation in our lives. A gardener's work is earthy and intimate. You're on your knees, you're in the earth, you're smelling it, you're looking at it, you're praying for it. I worked on a farm for about uh, six years, teenage years, and it was a really big farm in upstate New York, and we would grow acres and acres and acres, hundreds of acres of hay for the racetracks horses in New York City. And I remember that one time my, my boss, the farmer that I worked for, I don't think he was a real spiritual man, but he would walk his fields and drive his fields and pray for rain. And some days when the hay was cut, he would pray for no rain. And then he would pray, and God, and I said, wow, this is pretty fascinating. He says, Lonnie, you cannot be a farmer without praying. Because everything we do is pretty much out of our control. The sun shines, the rain falls. We just pray that God does and has blesses us in the right time. Such such a great metaphor for our lives, isn't it? There's some things that are completely out of our control, and we just submit it to the Father and say, if it's rain today, I, I receive it. I can't do anything about it. If it's sun today, I receive it. I, I love it. If it's cloudy today, if it's windy today, if there's fires today, it's, it's it's in your hands. I submit that my life, my garden to you, the great gardener. We are humans taking From the humus. Conductors and lawyers and bankers are concerned with abstract and impersonal things like tickets, law, and money. It's a system that, when we enter into that, we lose that intangible thing called faith and hope. But gardeners handle living things. Jesus isn't afraid to get his hands dirty, my friends. He loves our messes, He loves coming into our mess, He loves coming into our gardens and bringing order again. It's all coming back to where it first started, the garden. Jesus is the garden, the gardener. We are his creation. We are his work. We are his masterpiece. We are his treasure, his joy, his love. And he loves to handle us with care. He loves to give us that tender care that we so desperately need. Take this perspective tonight. Take this perspective that Jesus is working in your life even now. There's no mess that he's afraid of. There's no garden that can't be restored. There's not enough thorns and thickets that he has ever been afraid of. There's nothing like that. He is a father. He is a gardener. He is tender with his people. Believing this will really transform your life. Believing that God operates from from a place of grace and not anger believing that God operates from a place of happiness and not sadness, believing that God operates from a place of of creativity and not destruction. When you believe that, when you take that perspective in my life, then I can go through some garbage and say, man, Lord, this hurts. I know, son, I'm pruning stuff out of you because what you think is really attractive, you know, those big leafy branches, well, it's not bearing any fruit. And I need to prune back so that more energy goes to your fruit and not all the leafy branches out there. As you know, I was a horticulture major. Don't ask why. I think I was just sharing the story the other day. I showed up at college, and I had no idea what I was doing. I was basically homeschooled and went to school in a church basement. And, uh, and I don't know if anybody ever heard the ACE program, ACE, but I basically had to learn backwards. You have? Yeah. I had to go to the answer key... And, figure, and then work the, the problem back to the answer because no one could teach me. And how many of you know that when you're, you know, in 10th grade, physics isn't the easiest thing to learn on your own. And so I just had learned completely backwards. Anyway, I show up for college, and I stand in a line. And they said, "What are you here for?" I was like, "I, I don't know. I'm going to college." Well, do you have your SAT scores? What's a SAT? I have no idea what a SAT is. No SAT. Well, that spells SAT, right? I'm not that stupid. You have to take your SAT test first. Oh, it's a test? Oh, no, I didn't do that. Well, you got to take that, son. So they, so they give me a paper. I got to take that. And then I stand in another line, and I want to sign up. I just want to sign up. Oh, do you have your SATs? I said, well, no, I'm scheduled for it, though. Well, we can't do anything for you until you get that done. You have to have that. Oh, well, where do I do that at? And then I scheduled it later. So I'm walking around. There's just thousands of people, and it's the sign-in day and all that. And if you've ever been to college, you know how crazy it can be on those days. And so I find myself... They finally had mercy on me, and they said, "You know what? You probably go need need to talk to a counselor." And so I go down the basement of this college, and I found I find her room, and I knock on the door, and she's in there, and she's she's uh, typing away or something, and and I said, "Hi, I'm Lonnie. I'm here to to sign up for school." She says, "What? Where's your SATs?" I said, "What's an SAT? I don't know. I don't have that. I was completely confused, completely just discouraged." That whole experience that day was so discouraging to me. I felt so lost and out of place. And in that, finally I get to school. Finally I start studying horticulture. I'm like, what in the world have I done? Why am I in horticulture? This doesn't make any sense to me. I don't want to be a horticulturalist. They said, "Uh, what do you want to do? I said, I want to be a landscaper. "Uh, Well, we don't have a course for that. Wow, you don't have a course to be a landscaper? No. She said this. She said, you know what might work for you? go work for a landscaper. <laughs> it, the story is just to, to sum it up to say that as a horticulturalist, I learned a lot about pruning. I learned a lot about grafting. We could graft a cherry tree branch into an apple tree and it would still bear cherries. is that fascinating? And we had these cool little knives and these blades and we'd work it, and we'd be tender. But the point is it reminds me of Jesus when he's working in our lives to get rid of all the fluff that doesn't matter. And one of the things we had to learn is a tree can be incredibly beautifully and full of leaves, and yet it could also have no fruit. What I discovered is a lot of the energy that it takes to produce the fruit, it's going out into these leaves, and it just perpetuates on itself, and then it produces very little fruit. That's why you see vineyards, and the stalks are very, very thick, but the branches aren't very many. They just sort of wind themselves on the thing, and then the vineyard keeper comes back and prunes them back for the year, so that next year the energy goes to the fruit. God is such a brilliant gardener. He's a husbandman and he's tender and he's kind and he's loving. And I just in my, maybe it's, maybe it's in my own life. I've got to eradicate this image of God being mad at me or God is angry with me if I don't do everything right. No, you know what he does? He makes adjustments. He comes in with his tender hands and he makes adjustments and he goes into our hearts and says, Lon, it doesn't really belong anymore, bro. Can I, I need to cut that back. I need to cut that out. The new life in Jesus Christ through his resurrection, listen to my friends, is working in us today for eternity. For eternity. We tend to bookend because we're in time, we, we bookend our lives, right? Beginning, end, and that's it. And we sit some sort of buy and by somewhere. But in reality, eternity is the beginning. This is our time to bring heaven to the earth to cultivate it, to to be the agent of change. Not speak about it, but be it. Be the peacemaker, right? It's not a peace thinker, it's peacemaker. I'm going to enter into a situation and I am going to be Jesus. I'm going to show the resurrected power in my life. I'm going to show the hope that I have in Jesus Christ, through my actions, through my life's fruit, burying it through Jesus Christ. Um, The garden is where it started. The garden is where sin happened. The garden is where Jesus prayed and wept. The garden is where he was betrayed. The garden is where he was buried. And the garden was where he resurrected fascinating. It's so good to see our risen Savior bringing us all the way back to the beginning. One of the prophets said this, he said, if you want to know how it all ends, look to the beginning. If you want to see the new creation, the new world, the new life that we have in Jesus Christ, look to the beginning. Go all the way back to the garden. Those words that God spoke, are still speaking today they haven't ended they haven't expired the words that he spoke over you they haven't ended they haven't expired the things that we're still learning and walking through will be learning and walking through for eternity they'll never end they I mean of course some point certain things change obviously but what we have is this hope in resurrection hope the resurrection power of Jesus Christ is in you that's the hope of the gospel Stand with me, let's pray. So good, you guys. Father, God, you are so good to us. You're so good. Thank you for the power of resurrection. Thank you for the hope that we have in Christ Jesus. Thank you for this amazing story that changed history. the new creation, the new world. The world had died in the night, but you came in the morning with hope for all. Jesus, help us to recognize and wrestle through some of these tension points of resurrection and resurrection power in us. Timing and all the things that are associated with that lord help us to be like you were lord. help us to be in the garden working in people's lives getting our hands dirty nurturing and watering and fertilizing and praying